Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. I've got John Shaw with me again today. Uh, like a previous podcast episode, we have John here to talk about one more, what we're calling sort of difficult topic or hot button topic in this series that we have had, uh, extended series, starting back in the fall on communication and how we communicate the gospel in our speech and in our action. Uh, today's topic is, for lack of a better term, just gender, the, the, the issue of gender in the church and some of the difficulties and topics that have been a, a part of church life in recent years. And John is willing to uh, to come back and talk about that. So, John, we're glad to have you here again. I, I know it's probably getting old to have you on hard topics and on the hot seat, but in many ways you uh, volunteered for this uh, in your capacity <laughs> as the General Secretary of the Chair on Home Missions and Church Extension. So let, let's, let's uh, for people who maybe listened to uh, the previous episode on race in the church, we can maybe come at this from a similar perspective, building out of the image of God and how the image of God relates to the issue of gender in the church and women's roles in the church and, and, and various things that we're going to talk about. I wonder if you could start there and kind of open up the topic for people, some who maybe have listened to, to the previous episode and some maybe who haven't. How does image of God funnel us into this question of communication and gender roles in the church? Yeah, first of all, just you know, for purpose of review, whether you heard the previous podcast or whether image of God is you know, a category you've thought in before, foundational to who we are as men and women that were made in the image of God. It's by design, and it's God's good design for us. Uh, but it's interesting, in particular, when it relates to relationship between men and women, the way that's communicated to us in Genesis one twenty seven. Uh, it says there, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know, it's getting at this this um, difficult topic of how men and women are the same, but also how they're distinct. And you see that interesting change in pronoun. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Uh, in other words, both are made in the image of God. And uh, what that means belongs to male and female. But there is some distinction. They're male and female for a reason. And that's something significant for us to work through. We'll, we'll work through that in a variety of ways, but it's important for us to understand that. And I think in particular for a, a church like the Orthodox Presbyterian Church that teaches the importance of uh, some distinctions between male and female, in particular in leadership and headship, that we be really careful to also be clear that men and women both are made in the image of God with everything that that means. And if then I could add a second theological category just briefly, I think we also, in talking about this, need to think about the implications of being united to Christ. So union with Christ, that's what belongs to every believer. 
So everyone who is a child of God is united to Christ, and they're united to Christ in the same way, male and female. And so there's some, some hard issues for us to work through in these categories. I am by no means an expert, and I have a lot to learn. Uh, but I think keeping those things in mind sets some guardrails for us as, as we both talk about the relationship between male and female, but also uh, roles in the church and you know participation in the church. In my mind, John, there, there are three different worlds, and in this instance, they are very, very different worlds that are having sort of this discussion on gender and men's and women's roles. I mean, there's just the world at large. There's the broader sort of evangelical or maybe not even evangelical church or the mainline church. And then there's the reformed confessional world. And I think for the sake of this conversation, it's going to be best to leave the topics that the world is talking about, the conversation they're having and the broader church is having. But I wonder if you could bring people in. People may be joining this podcast and, and may not be as familiar with what you and I are thinking about in our minds. What is the discussion that's taking place in the Reformed world, Reformed Church's confessional world? Uh, how's it different from the conversation that's being had in those other very different worlds? Uh, can you just sort of maybe bring up some some issues and topics and why it is a hot button issue for us and not just a hot button issue in those two other very different worlds? Yeah, I'll try to do that briefly. I, I think for me, the hardest issue, and I, I think this is an issue that as I talk to pastors and elders in the OPC in particular, the issue that we're all grappling with is what I'm going to describe as the ontological difference between men and women. And let me just explain briefly what that means. Uh, in other words, what's the difference between men and women and how they're created or how they're designed by God? Is there a difference uh, between male and female? How are they the same and how are they different? And, and this has become a big issue because the world, we're not going to go too far down this path, but because the world, unbelievers are suggesting that there is no difference, that gender is kind of a made-up category, and that there's no difference between uh, male and female. And so the important thing for us to do as the church is to define carefully how men and women are the same and how they're different, and to do so uh, only using the categories that God gives us through revelation. And so there's a temptation to fall, you know, to go in one of two extremes. Uh, there's, there's some uh, in the broader church, and maybe I, I think there's a fear that there might be some in the Reformed church who would, you know, with, with some purpose of being more acceptable in the eyes of the world, to subtract some of those differences. So to be in, in maybe embarrassed or hesitant to talk about the differences that Scripture lays out for us. But there's also, and I think it's, it's almost as significant of a, of a danger, there's this idea that in reaction to the world, and maybe those in the church who would seek to downplay the distinctions that God has uh, built by His design into men and women, there's a temptation in answering uh, that to add to the Scriptures. In other words, to take stereotypes of male and female or perceptions of what's uniquely true about men and women stereotypes in the world 
and to make them rules as if they've been revealed by God. And so the complication for us is by reading special revelation and general revelation as God's uh, shown his purposes through what he's made and how he governs his world, to be careful to define the distinction uh, only so far as God allows us to define it. So don't subtract from what he says, but also don't add to what he says. And I think that's where where we struggle because there are areas in the scriptures where things are said and there's different views of what they mean. And we need to be careful to be charitable and do the hard work of defining um, male and female in a way that's consistent with the revelation that God's given us. So um, building off that idea, I I guess no no reason to avoid sort of the the known stereotype. Maybe we could just sort of jump into it. I mean, there would be a concern not only from sort of the world that maybe glances at the church, but but maybe even inside the Reformed Church, there's maybe a concern that the role of women is looked down upon. Whether whether that is because they uh, don't serve in office or authority, and there's certain convictions in Reformed churches about those types of things, or whether it's even thinking about things like you know the role outside the home, the role in the workplace, and, and those types of things. I wonder if you'd mind sort of uh, stepping into that, since since we have you on the hot seat, stepping into that even hotter topic of that being one of the issues, and just how we how we deal with that, and how we think through that, how we in that conversation, whether the people right, wrong, indifferent, different you know different sides don't matter. How do we honor and value the role of women, even when there are convictions about? office or authority in the church that is going into the deep end but but it's an important conversation i think right off the bat we just we need to acknowledge us we're swimming against the cultural current and so if if we teach what we what we believe the bible teaches we just know up front that that's going to be unpopular uh, both inside, you know, both outside the church clearly, but sometimes inside the church, and, and we just need to know that at the outset. But I think there are things we can do, you know, while maintaining roles both in the church and in the home, and how we understand those things. There, there are ways that we can honor and and value uh, women uh, that we need to think about carefully. I think some of them are rooted just in basic theology. So we've already talked about image of God, male and female. They're valuable because they're made in the image of God and they bring to bear everything uh, that belongs to that. So knowledge, righteousness, and holiness is our confession and catechism summarize it. That, that belongs to both men and women. Union with Christ. They have access to the Holy Spirit. They have uh, all the benefits that belong to those who are united to Christ belong to every man and woman who's been converted and who, who uh, has been saved by the power of the cross. And again, that, that gives value. And then, then I think, in particular, think about roles in the church. Um, those passages in Romans and 1 Corinthians that uh, talk about the body of Christ and that everybody has a role to play and uh, even actually warns us that if we, um, if we, if we don't help people uh, use their gifts and uh, their talents, which come from God in ways to serve the church, that the church is actually harmed. Uh, 
you know, there's some important instruction there for us. And it calls us to do multiple things. And this is for everyone, by the way, not just for women. I'm not, I'm not sure we do this well with our, our kids all the time, that we do it well with unordained folks, but we should be looking for gifts in everyone because the Bible tells us that every member of the church has gifts that are useful and valuable. So we should be looking, we should be acknowledging gifts. We should be praising gifts used well, praising people for using their gifts well and thanking them for doing it. And we should be empowering people to serve in every way that's possible. It, th this is kind of rooted in a, in a robust view of discipleship. Discipleship isn't just filling people's heads with information and good theology, but it's equipping them and empowering them and releasing them to serve uh, in the church, in the world, and in their home. And, and I just think we, we've got to do better at that all, all around. And, and I don't just mean the Reformed Church, but I, you know that's the category that we're thinking in. We have to have a more robust view of uh, the priesthood of all believers and of the office of believer. We often talk about it in that way, that people have gifts, passions, and talents that came, that were given to them by God through Christ the work, Holy Spirit at work in them. And so we should acknowledge, uh, praise, give thanks for their gifts, uh, equip them to serve, and empower them to serve. And, and then, you know, just one last thing on this topic, not allow uh, extra biblical categories to define that. So now I'm not thinking about church, I'm thinking about home and work. Y you know, if we're going to say this is a place only for men, like this kind of position, we better be really clear that that's what the Bible says. Because if the Bible doesn't say it, we don't have a right to say it. And I think sometimes we're too loose in those categories. And the, the natural response, which is completely understandable, is that, that women would feel dishonored. Uh, and I think we need to do better in those categories. You sort of hit on another, or at least transitioned to another question I had in mind thinking about this when you said it's not just how we encourage and equip women, but we do, you know, we struggle sometimes with children and with, you know, different categories of people. And, and I wonder if in similar ways, the things that you just said are a given, that will, women are equally valuable, that women have union with Christ, you know, all those things we know to be true. Do you have any thoughts on, or do you have any examples maybe from when you were a pastor or as you travel around and, and, and see what, churches are doing and what sessions are doing um, to encourage equipping of women in particular, since we're talking about that, but we recognize it's broader, it's children, it's singles, it's, it's all kinds of different categories of people. Any encouragements how to not single a group out, in this case, women, and sort of make them feel like the encouragement was sort of a backdoor uh, discouragement? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. We're always you know, if we're doing our, if we're filling our roles well as pastors and elders, we're thinking in these categories and we've probably made missteps and need to rebuild those relationships as we do it. I guess I'd start in this way. People want to contribute and they want to serve. I'm not sure we always believe that, but it's true. They do, especially uh, those who've been, you know, claimed by Christ. Part of the fruits uh, of their conversion is that they want to contribute and they want to serve because that's what they were made to do. And uh, there can be a tendency in Reformed churches that have a high view of office to 
intentionally or unintentionally, I think it's usually unintentionally, to treat the officers as those who contribute and serve and everyone else as those who receive and are being served. And, you know, there's some truth to that. I don't want to downplay that. But there, there is a place for, uh, not just a place, there's a responsibility to equip and to uh, make spaces for people to use their gifts. And I think if, if we're working in those categories, we begin to break down some of the, the problems here and the, and the perceptions that are problematic. I think one of the places where it's difficult is that we do have stereotypes or preconceived notions of adult roles and child roles, male roles and female roles. And some of them, uh, most of them have some truth tied up in them, but if we're too woodenly holding to them, we actually stifle people who are different than the stereotype. So for instance, the, the church plant where I served, probably the best person in our church for all matters related to the building, including construction, repair, and everything, uh, wasn't a deacon, and it wasn't a man. And she was really good at it, and she's still really good at it. And I think sometimes we miss those things because we have preconceived ideas in our heads. I think we downplay sometimes what our children can do. So in, in uh, St. Paul, where I was a church planner, we had children who were greeters, and they were really good at it. So I, I think just getting to know people and thinking out loud with them how they can, how can, they can be used in the service of the church is one way uh, that we can break this down. The church that my family attends right now, Calvary OPC, uh, Glenside, Pennsylvania, in the last couple of years uh, has developed a, a robust um, encouraging women's ministry. And I'm thankful for it in so many ways, just watching it happen. They, they've built in space for uh, women to disciple women. They've built in spaces for women to serve in every aspect of ministry in the church. They've helped the session. I think the session would say this, helped them think through issues that the session was wrestling through. And they've, they've been a, a useful arm in thinking about areas like, how does the church respond to abuse? I think too many times we have that conversation and, and the only people in the room are men when most of the abuse is directed toward women or children. Uh, the session, I think, being open to learn from, you know, from others in the church who aren't officers is a big step in this direction of, of valuing and empowering people in the church. It's not giving up uh, their, their authority as officers to be learners, because we're all called to be learners. And then I guess I would add this, this last piece. The Great Commission calls us to go disciple nations, baptizing and teaching. And what's interesting is, and I think this is important for us as, as those who baptize babies, that everyone who's been baptized is a disciple, uh, and we're called to teach them. And that teaching includes equipping and so we should be discipling our kids from the moment they're born in a variety of ways. And so making spaces for our children and all the people in the church to grow and to serve together, I think that's a key piece to, to valuing folks in the church. So thinking about you know uh, deacons visiting uh, single women who need help or widows, 
you know, how, how many, how often have we thought about bringing a woman along with the men to create some uh, space and comfortableness for this single woman? Have, have we asked her if she wants to bring somebody with her when we visit? You know, those are the kinds of things that we can do, you know, small steps, but I think they're significant steps in communicating value. So I'm going to mention two sort of categories of people to even narrow this a little bit. And in particular, thinking about, you know, we talk a lot about trying to reach people. The world is changing. And so when we think about gender and when we think about the role of women in the church and how we communicate that, there are a lot of women in the world inside the church and outside the church who are brilliant and doing great things and working high-level jobs and, you know, involved in remarkable ways in different occupations and cultures. I'm not going to try to drag you into this, that, or the other. I just want to ask you, how do we communicate to these watching categories of people these difficult distinctions? You said we're, stri- we're swimming upstream. But we have these convictions. How, how can we better communicate our convictions, recognizing, since we're singling out for this podcast episode, gender, you know, women who are just brilliant and doing great things, but they're listening to men communicate something. And maybe there's a, maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect there, sort of that, that sort of backdoor discouragement. Any, any thoughts on that category in particular in the world that we live in? Yeah, you know... That's a hard one, Brad, and I wish I had really great answers. I, I think part of it is, and this is going to sound like a, a little bit of a, a repeat, but I think it's important, it is to honor them for their work. Communicate th- to them that we understand the, the value and significance of what they're doing and that they do it really well. I also think we should, you know, there, there's a tendency because of the, the swimming against the cultural currents to embrace extra biblical categories that say that that women shouldn't advance too far in the workplace and, and we need to push back against those things in significant ways. And then I think in a you know more proactive way, when we see women being devalued or talked down to or even Christians suggesting that women don't belong in this place or that place, that we proactively answer that. I think we're sometimes too hesitant to simply say that's not the category that we're talking about. And and then I guess, uh, lastly, I, I think in this extra biblical category includes p- taking particular characteristics and suggesting that these are male or female characteristics. So I've heard the one that keeps coming back to me because it seems so strange to me. Uh, I've seen these lists and different articles where some pastor says that being entrepreneurial is a uniquely male characteristic. And I guess my first thought is I've read Proverbs 31 and I'm not sure that that's that the scriptures can uphold that, but it's also demeaning, especially when we most of us know women who have who have excelled in that kind of category to suggest that this is a male category. I'm struggling to find anywhere in special or general revelation that allows me to do that. And I think we should be willing to stand up and be counted as those who disagree fundamentally uh, with that kind of teaching 
uh, that we believe to be beyond what the scriptures allow us to say, and actually counter to what the scriptures teach. Yeah, thanks. I think that's I think that's very helpful. Um, the second category of people uh, you mentioned, uh, which is those that suffer abuse. First of all, I think we need to acknowledge that there are people in our church who have been or are being abused, likely, uh, uh, that we don't know about. And so, just as an example, when we read or, or preach from a passage that touches on God as being a kind and generous Heavenly Father, it, it might be a good practice for us to, to at least stop for a minute as we're preaching that, that wonderful doctrine to say from the pulpit, we know that the image of a father is not a comforting image to all of you. Some of you have suffered at the hands of your father, and, and we mourn with you, and we want to be an encouragement to you. But, you know, There are ways for us at different points like that to let people know this is a place that doesn't downplay abuse. We know it's there, and we want to be useful. Because we also know, I mean, all the research tells us that people who've been abused wait for years to get help because they're afraid. And so if we can communicate some of that uh, compassion to them and show them that even for those for whom father image isn't a comforting image, that our father is, you know, the fact that God is our father is a comforting image. There's, there's something useful there. It, we also need to acknowledge, uh, and there's lots of studies and resources that show us this now in a clear way, that the church is a place where abusers go to hide. Uh, both churches that have a, you know, a high view of headship and, and those kinds of things, it can be a safe place to hide because they can deceive in such a way that, that their abuse might look like headship, but also because they know that the church is a place of grace and mercy and forgiveness in a place where, in general, we're programmed to trust people. And so we just need to know that, and we need to have our eyes open, our antennas up. And, and if I could speak especially right now to officers, most of us are not yet equipped to identify and deal with abuse. We have to acknowledge that, and we have to be, be willing to be taught by all sorts of other people. A few resources that I think are helpful, either ones I've read and used or ones that have been recommended to me by other sessions that are using them. Uh, Rachel Den Hollander's book, What is a Girl Worth? is extremely helpful. In particular, in identifying patterns of abuse and the deceit of the abuser and why abusers choose churches, there's so much to learn from her. And we should listen, even as we, it's a hard story to hear, but it's important. Secondly, Darby Strickland has a, a book that came out early in the fall called Is It Abuse? Uh, it's in particular about identifying abuse and abusers in the church. And I, I know one session in particular that's using her as a resource as they wrestle through their own history as a church, but also how do we move forward to be more responsive and aware uh, and help people in our church. And then Diane Langberg, who... You know, you can find all sorts of resources from Diane Langberg, you know, uh, conferences she's spoken at, articles she's written. Uh, but she has a new book called Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church. And I haven't read it yet. I don't own it yet. It's fairly new. 
But everything I've read by her and every time I've listened to her, I've been helped, I've been challenged, and I've learned. And so those are some resources that are available. There are other organizations that provide training. And I guess part of my encouragement is, I think is, as officers, we, we need to be trained in this and not just pastors and elders, but deacons to be able to, to see and identify. And we need to listen really well. And I, you know, sometime I could tell more stories about my own experiences as a pastor and times I heard well and times I didn't hear well. But we need to learn how to hear well and care for people. Thanks for those. And for the specifics, that's sort of a hard topic within a hard topic. So, John, as we as we wind down, I wondered if um, you, you've mentioned a number of different things. Where do we go in the OPC specifically and the Reformed Church more broadly? Wh- where do we go to keep making progress? Because isn't, isn't that really the issue that we keep the trajectory going in the right direction as we acknowledge we're not sharp in all these areas and, and we move forward? Where would you point either individuals, families, churches, one or two things to do, one or two things to think about, one or two things to, I don't know, read. You want to leave people on a note of how to take the next step? Um, conversation. Uh, I, I guess this is my third podcast in the series, and every time I come back to conversation. So I would encourage us to speak to women in our church, you know, what has been their experience in the church, including in our church, and be willing to hear critique and criticism and and not be defensive, but listen well and try to learn where we can grow. Talk to your kids. I really, I can't emphasize that one enough. They're being fed in all sorts of different ways, you know, a view that's in conflict with scripture as far as gender and relationships and roles. They're they're being bombarded with an anti-Christian message and we need to hear them. And the answer isn't to give them something other than what God has revealed, but to give them what He's revealed as as something beautiful. But also to struggle with them as they try to understand their place in the world, and in particular their place in the church as a child of God. And and I would also say, you know, I, I gave some book recommendations that are in our tradition, if you will, Reformed folks. Don't be afraid to read things Outside our tradition, I'm speaking especially right now to pastors and elders, don't be afraid to read things knowing that you might disagree with portions of them, but being willing to learn. A a good practice, I think, as we read things where we know we're going to have some disagreement is not to immediately talk about what we disagreed with, but to, to say, what do they say that I can affirm? What do they say from which I can learn and grow as a Christian and as an officer? And I say that in part because some of these issues, in particular the issue of abuse, it's only recently that Reformed people have been writing very much in this category. So we're probably going to have to go outside our tradition. And it's okay to do that, to do it carefully with the Bible right there, in prayer, but be willing to learn from people who are coming from different perspectives, but then to return to what we know to be true. And I guess... Then lastly, the, you know, this, is, this has come up in a variety of ways, but I want to say it really clearly. Be willing to be corrected. All the issues in this whole series, but I think especially the issue of gender and previously the issue of race, we will make mistakes because we're not glorified yet. Uh, we're sinners on the way, being sanctified. And so be willing to hear critique and even criticism and not have as our first instinct defensiveness or offense, 
but rather be willing to take the truth that's tied up in it, if there is such a, if there is truth tied up in it, and change direction, and then be able to love the people well who bring uh, the criticism or the critique. Well, that's a good closing thought, John. Uh, thanks again for taking the time twice now on these kind of hot button, difficult issues. But I think it's great that you and the OPC are talking about it and that Outward OPC can be used in that. Maybe these podcasts will be you know, part of the next step for some people and some churches to just begin having a conversation and thinking about it. So, so thanks for, uh, for taking the time. We really appreciate you, your thoughtfulness uh, on these issues. And thanks, Brad, for uh, giving me the opportunity. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.